Hey, what's up, everyone? Welcome back to Going Deep with Aaron Watson. This is episode 195, and we've got a good one for you today. Felix Hartman of the Next Gen Summit, the author of Dark Age, and now CEO of Fund This, came on the show. He is a young hustler, younger than me, and already doing some really big things. We talk dystopian fiction, entrepreneurship, and working on your diction to communicate more effectively. A lot of bases covered if you're into Stories of Young Hustlers. I encourage you to go back and check out episode 136 with Justin Laffison. He is another young hustler and member of the Next Gen Summit. But without further ado, here is my conversation with Felix Hartman. You're listening to Going Deep with Aaron Watson. So Felix, thank you so much for coming on Going Deep with Aaron Watson. We just missed this being episode 200, we're off by five, but episode 195, I'm so excited to be talking to you. Hey Aaron, thanks so much for having me on. I'm excited for the next 40 minutes. Yeah, uh, there's there's something really interesting as I was preparing for this interview, uh, and that is you're trying to bring a new perspective to crowdfunding. And as I was just kind of thinking about crowdfunding in general, it's this weird concept where it's simultaneously this new phenomenon in the digital age with Kickstarter and you see these campaigns going on, but it's also kind of almost already an institution of the digital age. It's it's a crowdfunding is a word that everyone knows. Most people have heard of Indiegogo or Kickstarter or something like that. And so that kind of puts it in this interesting place where innovation can happen and it could still be disrupted, but to some people it is in and of itself a disruptive force on its own. So I'm, I'm curious to kick things off. Uh, if we could talk a little bit about Fund This, this is your your, your new startup that you're the CEO of, uh, a little bit about where the idea came from, but maybe also just a little bit about why you believe crowdfunding is potentially ripe for disruption. Right. So crowdfunding has been around in the way we know it since about 2008, 2009, which was when Kickstarter and Indiegogo came out. Now, like you said, you know, by now it's been kind of institutionalized and we actually talked about this in the office today. Um, Kickstarter by now has kind of become very corporate and you can, you know, by doing a simple Google search, you could find out that a lot of users aren't too happy with them um, just because it's they've become they're not the startup they used to be anymore so since 2008 since 2009 um crowdfunding itself hasn't really been innovating um it's been the same kind of platform the whole concept of the digital age you can raise money online from normal people that's the concept behind it but that's kind of where it got stuck over the past 10 years so our idea was that as everything moves forward with things such as automation, um, with a more democratic access to media, and also with the rise in social media and all the kinds of tools we have, um, we wanted to create a platform that A, offers more tools that integrate these things, as well as offer the services that can help you know the actual average person um, raise money for their businesses. Because one of the uh, the ideas behind crowdfunding that every crowdfunding platform tries to hail themselves on is that crowdfunding democratizes capitalism. 
And while it sounds really cool and nice, um, it's just so far from the truth at this point because um, running a successful crowdfunding campaign um, t- does take a lot of resources. You know, you need a quality video. Almost every successful crowdfunding campaign blasts quite a bunch of money into ads. They need some kind of connections to the media or have money to pay an agency. So the ever- the truth is it's not really democratic at this point. So we kind of wanted to bridge that gap and create an end-to-end platform that really takes on kick-ass ideas and helps them get funded no matter who they are. And just take us a little bit deeper on how you're going to be able to do that. Because like I know I ran a little kickstart actually for the show. We got some new mics and equipment to improve the quality of it. And as soon as my listing went up, I remember getting bombarded with emails of, hey, we'll help you market. Hey, we'll help you uh, like spruce up your profile page and this, all these other things that have been built up around it. What is what is from like the ground level being built to differentiate from the existing platforms? Right. So, and that's funny that you mentioned it because in our research prog- uh, process of assembling the best team possible for Funtus, um, I've been on phone calls with basically every single crowdfunding leader in the industry. So a lot of these people that probably emailed you, I probably talked on the phone with. And, you know, they say they want to help you, but at the end of the day, they charge you between ten to $25,000 and sometimes 10 to 35% of your campaign. So I just think that's crazy. So instead, what we do is um, we don't charge any money up front at all. There's no actual cash dollars that you pay. We simply charge uh, platform fees um, like Kickstarter does. Um, So we take a 5% platform fee and a 7% service fee. And what we do is that we pay for all these services ahead of time. So we pay for your own publicist. And I just um, talked with uh, one of them today. One of them is actually the PR for Michael Jordan. So, you know, we, we get some really good people on the team. So we, we pay for the pub- publicist so they get you into magazines. We pay for actual advertising. So a portion of the money that we might possibly make already goes into your campaign ahead of time. So uh, we kind of take that gamble, we take that risk ahead of time by investing in your ads, by having an in-house graphic designer that will help you make your campaign look awesome. And basically we provide anything along the steps of a crowdfunding campaign because there's so many things go into it from ads to PR to graphics to influencer marketing to online promotions, et cetera, et cetera. We wrap that all up in one bundle and take care of it for you at no cost. One of the things with this show that we we always come back to is connecting the dots, connecting with other like-minded individuals. And it sounds like you've really got some momentum rolling with these different people that you mentioned uh, reaching out to. And actually how we found each other was through the Next Gen Summit group and a former guest in episode 136, Justin Lafazan. And I'm curious, as you build this, uh, you're still very young, but it, it, the the network appears to just be continuing to grow. How important is cultivating a network, cultivating connections across industries been to getting this and some of your other endeavors off the ground? It, it's huge. Uh, and that's kind of where I got my start in as well. When part of the because what you have to keep in mind is i was i was brought in as ceo for funtus and my original background was that i was involved in a lot of conferences so actually um 
I was part of the the founding team. So like Justin and Dylan, they founded it, but I was helping them back in 2015 when NextGen first came around. Um, so I was working the ground level. I was getting to know everybody at the conference. Same thing, I'm on the board of SubX, the Startup Expo. So I'm always networking, you know, and I'm trying to do the high level by working with conferences because that allows me to, you know, know all the speakers, to um, I- engage with everybody. And on a constant basis, like I said, now with crowdfunding, I I did my best to call almost everybody in this industry and find out, like, you know, who's a worthy partner to have or who should we really make an alliance with? And as you mentioned, it's also useful to go beyond your your own sector. So what I do is... I go beyond the actual crowdfunding. So I'm building partnerships with, for example, people that are in manufacturing. So that way I can link some of my users up with, hey, this is a top trustworthy um, company that helps you get tech manufacturing. This is a top, uh, top manufacturing company that helps you get apparel done in China. You know, So I think with networking, you just have to go at it, not with the intent of making a sale, but just learning about people. Because at the end of the day, maybe it might not be tomorrow or in a month, but maybe 20 years down the road, that one person you met might be of some kind of value to you. And that's such a great lesson, both about sales and networking and connections in general. But you kind of you kind of threw something out there in that answer, Felix. Of oh, you're just going to reach out. You're just going to reach out to everyone in the industry. Like, a, of course you would. Uh, but to some people, that in and of itself can seem daunting. It can seem uh, like you know, where do I start? How do how do I even kind of get the ball rolling on on something like that? And it, it sounds as though that was. That's something, maybe an obstacle or, or a negative self-talk that you've already overcome. Can you talk a little bit about where the confidence to put yourself out there, to kind of share the idea that you're working on and reach out to these very busy people, maybe perceived as well-accomplished, uh, where that has kind of come from and what you've learned from doing that? Mm-hmm. So um, step one is obviously believing in what you do. So I think in the past, I wouldn't have done some of these things because I thought, hey, we're not quite ready yet. And the same thing goes, for example, for cold pitching podcasts. Like, you know, I we have a lot of mutual friends, but at the same time, I messaged you out of nowhere and said, hey, you know, would you be interested in this? So step one is obviously like it's believing in yourself and knowing that what you're doing, uh, that like that you're in the right track and that you know that it's worthy of the thing you're doing uh step two is just getting practice because cold calling is always uncomfortable at first but i've done so much of it by now that it's there's that the the inhibition goes away so you mentioned earlier when we talked a little bit privately that you do a little bit of sales and like you know in sales you just got to pick up the phone and it's uncomfortable at first because somebody picks up the phone that's not expecting you um, but then you just give them your best. And that's I'm also where the belief comes in. Because if you're there like stuttering or unsure of, you sound unsure of yourself, then it's not going to work. But if you if you know like, look, I'm, I'm the CEO of this new crowdfunding platform. It's going to be huge. We're going to have a big launch in March. We're going to take, take over Kickstarter, you know? Now they might listen a little bit more because, you know, like, okay, I mean, sounds a little full of himself, but at the same time, let's see what he has. And then I say, look, I've, I've made partnerships with XYZ. We've got this going, this going, this going. Now they listen a little bit more. So you just got to earn yourself that. And at the end of the day, when it came to um, the cold calls for the crowdfunding industry, 
for a lot of them, it was also potential business. You know, the partners that we actually ended up choosing, they're making quite a good good amount of money off of us. So in a way, it was also them trying to sell themselves to me. Gotcha. Yeah, I, I love that. I'm such a big believer in the passion and the belief being what, what people feed off of and comes through in any situation. Uh, you, can, you can almost smell fear or smell doubt when you're talking with someone, either on the phone or in person. Yeah, it's, it's funny because I get because um, I have a pretty decent following on Instagram and I get hit up almost every day or every few days people asking me to help them promote something or sell something and I could you know and I could make some good money with my Instagram but the point is I will I will never promote anything that I don't believe in because you just basically you're a really sucky salesman if you try to sell something that you don't believe in you know I can it's like sell me this pen well if you think it's the best fucking pen in the world then I can probably sell you this pen you know like if it has some cool gadget around it but I would I will never sell anything just for the sake of selling because you know like they I usually say there's a million ways to make a million so you might as well do something you know that you believe in or that you're passionate about. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, another interesting just kind of byline of this show that I, I found in doing research for this interview is uh, you're a former debate champion, uh, like another previous guest of ours, Kwame Christian, episode 162. And I'm always curious about how these like debate negotiation skills get practically applied in the world of business? Because I think, you know, to someone who maybe hasn't practiced those skills, there might be a perception that you're uh, basically just bulldozing conversations or negotiations and, and just win 100% of the points. Uh, so can you just maybe provide some clarity to, for us around how you've used those skills as you've progressed in the business world? Mm-hmm. Uh, step one is that I wasn't, I, I was slash I am an immigrant from Germany, so I moved here in 2008, and that kind of practice was key for me to really fix up my English because back then I had a really strong accent. I mean, probably for some listeners, some listeners might say, "Hey, this guy has a slight accent." Others might not notice. Um, I get both these responses nowadays. So, a practicing communication is absolute key because it's everything in the business world. I recently had an intern come in for an interview, and it was hard to understand anything he said. Um, so, you know, that immediately I think, you know what, that's probably not the right fit. So your communication skills, be it written or verbal, is probably one of your main priorities for any line of work, even if you don't want to go into business. So to go into how that actually, the debating affected me in business, I think it's also really, really important in terms of confidence when it comes to speaking, like business negotiations. You know, I'm not going to get into the details, but basically, initially, when I first came into Funtis, my deal looked a lot different than it does now. And because I had that self-belief and I know how to uh, convince and I know how to persuade and show my value, I was able to improve my deal something like tenfold. So the debating and, and just convincing people is it's one of the prime skills you can practice. And uh, I mean, if you're not, if you're in high school, I would definitely try, you know, your debate team or something. Um, there's, there's a lot of uh, different uh, resources out there that you can try. But especially if, if, if you have an accent, fun fact, ask somebody outside to tell you what specific sounds you mispronounce and then look up on YouTube specifically how to fix that sound. Because getting rid of an accent is not some big picture thing, it's really small nuances. So for example, Germans have a problem mispronouncing the TH sound and mispronouncing the R sound. So what I did back in my debate days, I would look up on YouTube, how do you pronounce the American R sound? Because back then my R sounded like a W. 
Um, so and then like vow like sound by sound, I was able to fix my English up more and more. So um, if you're not an immigrant, still try um, maybe doing some debating practice with others. It it always helps. Yeah, it was, it's funny. I'm from Pittsburgh, and my girlfriend is from Boston. And when she when we started dating, she would notice all these things that I said that I didn't even really appreciate were kind of Pittsburgh slang or a, a Pittsburgh mm-hmm. accent. Not that I'm a a full blown uh, Yinzer, but I I do have some things like milk that I say a little <laughs> bit odd. So it's something to you know one of the funny things that you look at. Um, news anchors and they'll talk about non-regional diction and being able to speak in a way that is clear and understandable for you know anyone speaking Mm -hmm. english and and that is something that doesn't go appreciated but is something that's cultivated and and makes you more accessible for a, a broader um demographic of the population another thing that you've done is write as well and it's just impressive how much output you have at such a young age felix but uh, you've also written a book dark age which is a fictional uh, novel it's got some dystopian elements to it and one question I, I also ask very often of people is where they think they fall on the optimism versus pessimism side of things and i think that you know very often entrepreneurs kind of have to default to optimism optimism uh but it's curious in writing a a novel with these dystopian elements uh where do you think you fall when it comes to just generalized optimism about the work that you're doing and the industry that you're in um it's a tough question i think i i definitely fall on the optimism i fall between realism and optimism and the way that dystopian fiction comes in is that and that kind of my whole vision for life fits together is that I think the world is heading in a, in a really bad place, both socially, politically, technologically. Um, it can go in a really bad place in specific ways if it's not for a select group of people fighting really hard to fight that change and basically in a day-to-day life i try to be that change so basically at night i write all the ways how the world can go under and then during the day i try to find a ways to not make them happen um, <laughs> um so in a way to give, give a more specific example dark age is based on a lot of stuff like the singularity you know um a mix of humans trans and i mean robots transcending biology and also the discovery of immortality and stuff like that and all the implications it has so with Funthus, for example what i try to do so in these developments these inventions they're not bad um they can be good but only good if they're in the right hands so if a corrupt person is in charge of these things then it looks really bleak for our civilization um, with that said, with Fantas, what I try to do is I try to empower, uh, you know, everyday people with innovative ideas that can change the world, um, you know, to fund their ideas and to make them a reality. And it goes back to what we mentioned earlier that, you know, crowdfunding, the whole idea is that you want to democratize capitalism. And I want to, like, truthfully do that um, so that, for example, we often complain that, you know, oh, there might be a there might be like a cure for cancer already. But, of course, the big pharma industries, they wouldn't fund that. Well, you know, with, with something like Fantas or crowdfunding, all these cool inventions that the corrupted big firms have no interest in backing can be backed now by the general public. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think that couched in that answer is also the acknowledgement that at least my perception is there's some people kind of just the blind optimism, which is like, I'm going to apply optimism to every situation, no matter what. But in writing something dystopian or acknowledging that potential outcome, you have this balance of of seeing where things can go wrong and acknowledging those things, giving them 
a, a degree of validity while simultaneously putting in the work to make mm-hmm. that change. I think that's an important distinction for some people to make. Absolutely. It it kind of makes you double check, um, double check your perspectives on things and also what I love about writing right now because of the, the book I'm writing right now takes place in 2050 so I'm kind of thinking if things go as they are now what would the world look like and you know I'm a really staunch capitalist I believe in capitalism I'm more libertarianism you know free markets and all that but at the same time as I'm writing the book I'm just thinking you know with the rise of automation and all these things eventually we might have to have something like a basic universal income. You know, that's not like that. These are just thoughts I have. I'm not saying that I'm endorsing it because it's a podcast, but um, a lot of these conversation topics that I, that I would usually not like in a pr- present day, I would say universal income. No, screw you. You know, I'm, I'm not even for increasing the minimum wage, but I am in, uh, considering the idea that like in 2050 with things like automation happening, we might have to have something like that. Otherwise, we'll have... In enormous rich poor gaps um, with slums and whatnot because you know if if every single entry level job is automated you know there's there's nothing they can do um, so I just like it as an entrepreneur to like use my my write my writing in a, in a way really helps me kind of like envision the future and gives me ideas for things I could really do like 30 years before they're supposed to happen you know because very few people look at life through the lens of what might the world look like 50 years from now 40 years from now 30 years from now yeah i totally agree and if you look to a place like san francisco where there there are a lot of those tech entrepreneurial libertarians and then you see why combinator the the biggest accelerator in town and actually you know one of the oldest in, in the world they are experimenting and researching universal basic income so it's it's really interesting and that's once again not an complete endorsement on their part but that acknowledgement of we need to get smart on this we need to see how this works do some experiments get some data and then form our opinions as opposed to saying i have a, a dogmatic ideological view and i refuse to budge or be swayed on that i think that's you know a common saying is don't debate someone who doesn't have a a method or a framework for how they could potentially change their mind on something. Right. I fall in a very similar boat when it comes to universal basic income of, well, I, I just feel like I don't even know how that would work. I have no real framework for it. So if we can see some data, if we can have some um, experiments with it being used, then that can hopefully form a basis for how we can shape that opinion in the future. I think that that's, I think that's so important to say. Thanks, Felix. Absolutely, yeah. There's, uh, there's, there's so many things that go into this, um, and I just think for entrepreneurs, it, it helps to look at like, because because if with entrepreneurship, you got to be innovative, um, and I think too many like of the gurus, they they look at like present day, and you look at like 2016, 2017, 2018. But um, something that Ray Kurzweil talks about, he's a big futurist. Um, it's called the law of exponential returns. Um, that as we progress. The, the progress will creep up on us faster and faster and faster because um, because our scientists and all our innovators have more technology. So with that technology, they can innovate faster. Um, so basically, the things you think will happen 50 years from now, they'll probably happen in the next three years or the next four or five years. So it definitely helps to as an entrepreneur to look ahead of the curve and basically break out of the box of what exists right now and what the frameworks are right now. Yeah, and it also just 
requires more leadership and guidance and, and more people who are doing the research and, and sharing their insights with other people because we're just continually drowning in data. Our uh, Twitter and Instagram and Facebook feeds just have link after link after link and there's no way to consume all of it. And so that is something that I'm constantly trying to refine is my list, my collection of thinkers, of innovators, of builders that I can use to augment my learning and, and refine that as well. I think that those filters in this environment are phenomenally important. Yeah, I, I agree totally. Um, I don't even, nowadays I do produce quite a bit of social media, but I've almost ceased to consume it. So um, I put, you know, I put things out on Instagram and I do tweet every now and then, but um, unless somebody actually engages with me, I don't really have much time anymore to just go out there and spend my time with the newsfeed, you know, unless it's, unless I specifically look for them, you know, like you said, like very catered, uh, maybe see what Elon Musk is up to, maybe see, you know, what Peter Thiel thinks or whoever the individuals are. But um, I think we're in a big con like consumer culture, obviously not just in a material sense, but also in an information sense where you have to be very picky of what you let yourself be influenced by. Uh, and I mean, we saw that in the in the election recently where we were just inundated with all kinds of opinions and news and whatnot. And, and you couldn't really escape it unless you were living under a rock. Deleting yeah. Your <laughs> yeah. 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 Well, Felix, this is, this has been great. I, I love the wide range of topics that we've been able to cover. Uh, and before we wrap up, I just wanted to check and see if there's anything that I didn't give you a chance to discuss today that you were hoping to. I mean, we covered Fantas. Um, what I would say about Fantas, for example, is if any listeners have an idea, company or something, you know, hop on over to Fantas.com and you can actually work with me personally. Um, and I'll see what I can do to either, you know, like I said, get you set up with some partnerships so that you can get manufactured or even help you raise money through us. You know, um, we talked a little bit about the book, so I think we're good. Yeah. Check me out. And it's like if you want to learn more about me. And I don't know if this is the question you're going to ask. Yeah. Is it? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I was just, la next question was what digital coordinates can we point people towards? Uh, you can always, uh, best place to find me is Instagram right now, which is Felix underscore Hartman, uh, two N's. And then also on Twitter, Felix O. Hartman. Um, these are the most active ones. I respond to every single direct message I get. I, uh, maybe in a year from now, if you, if you listen to this later on, I won't be able to anymore. But as of right now, I'm trying to help all of you as much as I can. Um, any questions you might have, any advice you need, any introductions you need, always there. Awesome. Well, we'll be sure to link to that in the show notes at goingdeepwithaaron.com slash podcast, the best place to find the show notes for this and every episode of the show. Uh, but as we do at the end of each episode, Felix, I'd love to give you the mic a final time so that you can issue your personal challenge for the audience. So my personal challenge for the audience is because I, I wrote something similar. I wrote a little ebook over New Year's. And what, because I, I did a lot of research to find out what are people struggling with? You know, the average millennial, what, like, what keeps them from being successful? And what it turns out is that there's just way too much inhibition to get started. So what I challenge you to do is even if, you know, it's January now. Um, so even if you have full-time school, even if you have a job, I want you to make time this, the next few days or in the next, let's say in the next 48 hours, spend one to two hours on a dream you have. So that could be, um, think back when you were a kid, you know, what's the, what's your dream career? 
um, I always ask people two questions. I say, what's your dream career if you could do anything in the world? And step two is, what are you doing right now to get there? And 99% of the time, question two, the answer is, oh, nothing. You know, I'm, I'm kind of busy doing something else. So I want you to make time. Even if you sleep less, even if you have to cut out TV or whatever, um, spend one to two hours doing the first step of something new. And if you don't know what the first step is, then send me a message and I'll tell you because generally it's not that hard. So if you've always said, I want to become a writer, then probably the good thing to do is write an outline or write the first chapter, write the first page. But stop telling yourself that you're a writer when you haven't written a single word. Same thing as you say you want to become a musician, but then maybe start composing something or upload your first video to YouTube. Basically, I want you to take the first step because... The vast majority of the people never even take the first step, which you know makes life a lot easier for people like me because I'm not competing with a lot of people. So go out there and get the first start. I absolutely love it. And I think that the really important point as well is you have the time and, and even bringing that mentality to looking at your schedule. There's always something to cut. There's always uh, a, a direction to go and you can make that time for yourself. So thank you for that challenge, Felix. And thank you so much for sharing your time and wisdom with us today. Uh, We just went deep with Felix Hartman. I hope everyone out there has a fantastic day. Hey, everyone. Hope you enjoyed today's episode. Please make sure you hit subscribe if you've not already done so and get excited for some of our forthcoming episodes, including a big recap episode for number 200 that is coming up in just five episodes. It's crazy how many we've been pumping out and how long this has been going on already. But I really appreciate those ears. I really appreciate the attention. And I will catch you next time going deep with Aaron Watson. Thanks for listening. Connect with Aaron on Twitter and Instagram at AaronWatson59.